This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal question. From MPB Think Radio, the show about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Wait a second. Wait, wait, wait. Did I say your rights? I meant the show is about animals and their rights. We're welcoming Jared Goodman, General Counsel of Animal Law for PETA, the foundation, to our broadcast. But hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. I'm excited about the show, you know, and I hope, by the way, I hope you had a great Easter. We are still in our fourth day of Passover, so, and also it's Ramadan, so a lot of lot of uh, holidays going on. I hope everyone's enjoying them and having meaningful uh, times. Um, but um, it's, it is great to welcome Jerry Goodman today. We had uh, Brittany Pete from PETA on before. She was uh, involved in the Tiger King and, and dealing with captive animals and laws to protect captive animals. And we're so excited to welcome Jared Goodman, uh, who is the general counsel of PETA dealing with animal law, um, to the show. And good morning, Jared. Would you please tell us a little bit about your background and how you became interested in animal rights? Good morning, and thanks so much for having me. Um, so at, here at the PETA Foundation, I work on a, a wide variety of legal issues that arise from PETA's efforts to help animals, such as eyewitness investigations, shareholder proposals, administrative law, and litigation. Um, among the many topics that I work on, I, I lead PETA's legal efforts to benefit marine mammals used in entertainment like Lolita, the solitary orca held at the Miami Seaquarium. Before coming to the PETA Foundation in 2009, I graduated from Brooklyn Law School, uh, where I presided over the school's Student Animal Legal Defense Fund chapter. Um, and worked with the dean to institute the school's first ever animal law course, which I'm happy to report is still being taught today, 13 years later. Um, and I got into, I, I went to law school to practice animal law. I knew this was what I wanted to do. I became a vegetarian at a very young age, um, influenced by um, socially conscious music that I was listening to um, where they were singing about animal rights. And it, it really helped me draw the connection between you know, the, the cat and dog, Marbles and Oliver, who I had at home, and the animals who were on my plate. Um, and one thing led to another, and here I am. Well, it's great to have you here. And today we're going to be talking about uh, U.S. laws regarding animals and, and PETA's advocacy to change and improve those laws. But, for, I mean, there's a crisis going on in, in Ukraine right now. And let's talk about PETA's efforts in a global crisis like uh, Russia's war on Ukraine. Um, how does that how does that work? How does PETA get involved? Um, really, when there's any sort of, I'll, I'll call this a disaster like this happening in the world, PETA does whatever it can to step in and help. So specifically, um, with respect to Russia's war in Ukraine, PETA's international entities have been helping refugees and their beloved animals. Our team arrived at the Ukraine border with Poland within days of the invasion. And during the last several weeks, They've transported nearly a thousand animals out of the country. 
together with other organizations. Those animals were given medical care, housed in safe and peaceful places where they can recover before being adopted and finding new families with uh, through PETA partners. PETA has also delivered over 530,000 pounds of cat and dog food to areas deep in Ukraine, which can feed more than 85,000 animals for an entire month. And that's in addition to another 44,000 pounds in horse feed. Uh, and beyond the, these animals who are just needing assistance, Pete has also helped many people leave the embattled country to find a safe place in Europe with their animal companions. Well, how can our listeners uh, support animal rescue and the other efforts that, that Peter's involved in uh, in the U.S. or abroad? Everyone could just visit PETA.org or donate to PETA's Global Compassion Fund, which helps extend PETA's legal work for animals, uh, excuse me, vital work for animals, um, including sometimes legal, into impoverished and devastated communities around the world. And we'll have a link to that on the podcast information for this show. This morning we are talking about animal rights. You can send us an email with your questions, legal terms at mpbonline.org. You know, we talk about the, the disaster in, in Ukraine, and, and yet, you know, even here at home we have um, terrible storms sometimes. Uh, just this past uh, past week there were storms that went through the— well, actually, it seems like for the last month, every week we've had storms going through the central part of the country, and, and animals are often displaced in those storms. And I mean, How does PETA get involved in animal rescue in the United States? Yeah, sadly, this seems to be a, a regular occurrence now where PETA's teams are, are needed to be called out to various locations throughout the country. Um, but with respect to domestic animals, the, the field and shelter team at PETA really works around the clock to provide animals in um, usually in impoverished areas in North, northern North Carolina um, and southern Virginia, where, where PETA is headquartered with medication and food, bedding, toys, and other essential resources. So. Um, the the problems that are facing cats and dogs and other domesticated animals in this country are, are unfortunately not limited to only those places that are facing natural disasters because um, in this area PETA is also providing free and low-cost medical services including transportation to its own clinics and these animals are, are chained outside often for 24 hours a day and seven days a week in all weather extremes and they've rarely known a kind word or touch um, so PETA will extend these efforts to other locations when there are natural disasters, too, such as New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, Houston and other parts of Texas that were hit really hard after Hurricane Harvey. Um, the team will show up to rescue animals left behind and who are trapped by raising water and supply animals and their guardians in need with whatever they can to help out. Well, that's that's important work, and uh, and you know we'll talk about the laws related to animal rights as well. But uh, one of the areas that, that Brittany talked about that you you also are involved in is uh, animals in entertainment. You know, animals that are being held captive. You mentioned uh, um, you know in uh, water water themed uh, parks. You know where uh, animals are uh, entertainment. How does Peter get involved in, in in protecting animals in the entertainment industry? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. PETA's efforts to, to rescue animals are not limited to domesticated ones. Um, and animals in the entertainment industry, um, we, we often are able to help through 
our litigation. Um, so to, to date, PETA has rescued and helped secure the release of 76 bears from abusive exhibitors and private owners. Uh, we've also helped rescue another 76 big cats, 19 chimpanzees, two baboons, and other exotic animals who were exploited and used for entertainment. And all of them we've, we've worked to transfer to accredited and reputable sanctuaries. Um, to, to provide just one example of how our litigation enables us to do that, PETA filed an Endangered Species Act lawsuit against a roadside zoo called Tri-State Zoological Park in Western Maryland. PETA's lawsuit contended that Tri-State harmed and harassed the animals in violation of the Endangered Species Act, and specifically lemurs, tigers, and lions, by displaying them in these really decrepit enclosures without any of the basic necessities, no appropriate companionship, potable water, enrichment, food, shelter, and they didn't even get a, a meaningful veterinary care. And after a full trial, the court ruled in PETA's favor entirely and ordered that all of the, the remaining endangered animals there be moved to an accredited sanctuary and prohibited Tri-State from ever owning or possessing endangered or threatened animals again. We would love for you to send us an email this morning or any time. Our email address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're discussing animal rights with Jared Goodman, General Counsel of Animal Law for the PETA Foundation. And we were able to partner with PETA another time. We'll tell you how you can hear about that next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Slowly we started, you know, picking these turtles up and saving them. I'll stop traffic, grab one out of the road. And then our friends found out and our vet would call us. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. We are now a full-fledged nonprofit turtle rescue. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. Look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB, the number four car. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is In Legal Terms. Now, not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on our website, 
inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. This morning, we're talking with Jared Goodman, General Counsel of Animal Law for the PETA Foundation. But uh, a year ago, on April 6th of 2021, we had a guest, PETA Foundation's Deputy General Counsel for Captive Animal Law Enforcement. We'll have a link to that broadcast on this show's information page. And it's a popular show this morning. We've already got a, quite a few calls. Let's go to Philadelphia and speak with Gene. Gene, we're so glad you've called in today. What's your comment or question? Yes, I have a comment or question about um, my neighbor's dog. Um, I have a elderly neighbor, and she she says the dog defecates on her flowers and on her patio, and the dogs try to kill a cat. And she says she's going to kill them. Is there any way that they can do anything to her? If uh, she kills those dogs, Jared. Um, yes, absolutely. I mean, first, I would I would encourage you to um, you know ha have those conversations with her now to to try to prevent any harm befalling the dog, including contacting your your local police if that's necessary um, to have that conversation, but. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see whether we have time on the show to talk more about this, the scope of Missouri's cruelty to animals laws, but it is absolutely prohibited to kill someone else's dog. Um, it, it is a felony and uh, is accompanied by severe penalties. Um, so hopefully uh, sharing that information and again, contacting local authorities as needed uh, is enough to, to stave off this, um, you know, potentially dire situation before it occurs. And Jared, this is Mississippi, not Missouri. I hope you just uh, uh, mis misspoke. And Gene, if you hang on to the end, the end of the show, we're going to, well, I'll go ahead and say it now, and we'll say it at the end of the show. There's, if you go to nokillnetwork.org, the website nokillnetwork.org, uh, you can click on Mississippi and it'll give you a list of no kill shelters in Mississippi if that dog can be given up to a shelter. Maybe someone else would love to give that animal a home and you can find a shelter that's in your area. Gene, you're a good neighbor and we hope that you can uh, have a good neighborhood with your friends. So thank you so much for calling in today. Thank you. Let's move to Poplarville and speak with Brenda. Brenda, we're glad you've called in to In Legal Terms today, where our guest is Jared Goodman, General Counsel for Animal Law at the PETA Foundation. Brenda, what's your comment or question? Oh, well, my comment is thank you so very much for having a show on animal law. I'm really, really appreciative of that. Uh, my comment is so often people think, well, it's just an animal and they don't care and why are we so concerned? And while that link between uh, animal abuse uh, and serial killers is very well known, people often don't realize that where you see a dog chained up in the yard, not taken care of, those children who live there probably are not cared for adequately either. 
So there is a link between animal neglect and abuse and child neglect and abuse, uh, elder abuse, domestic abuse. Often men will, or spouses, let's just say partners, will uh, threaten to harm a family pet if their partner wants to leave or threatens to leave. People will exploit the elderly in their family by threatening to kill the family dog or cat, the, the dog or cat belonging to that elderly person, if they don't give them money to go buy whatever it is they want to buy. So there is a real link between animal neglect and abuse and other types of abuse to human beings. So if you're not concerned about the animal when you see these things, stop and think about the people who are involved with the person who is not adequately caring for the animal because they are also affected and they are also likely to be treated poorly. Thank you, Brenda. Uh, that was a, a fantastic comment. Um, certainly, Brenda is absolutely right about these connections. And um, it, it really goes deeper to our relationship with animals. Um, so when, when we're raised going to facilities that exploit animals badly, we, we learn that those animals don't need to be cared for appropriately, that it's okay to keep bears in cages and to feed them inappropriate food. And it desensitizes us to the harm that these other animals experience. And that further just sort of degrades our empathy um, and could lead to abuse towards others. As um, you know, Brenda was implying, there are there uh, is, are many indications that individuals who uh, are serial killers started by abusing animals. Um, so it really is important to um, to acknowledge that these are beings who experience pain, fear, stress, and joy and companionship, just like humans and. Humans and non-humans need to be treated appropriately, taking account of those things and giving them consideration for those interests that they have. We're talking with Jared Goodman, General Counsel of Animal Law for the PETA Foundation. We're talking about animal rights. Let's go to the phones and go to Tupelo and speak with Terry. Terry, we're glad that you've called in today. What do you have to comment about? Uh, good morning. I have a question for Jared. If he could just explain it, and I'm, I'm in this instance only using wild or non-domesticated animals. I do realize domesticated animals have rights as well, but I'm curious as to what kind of headway PETA or other organizations are making in changing the laws so that the roadside zoos in private ownership of wild animals can be better monitored or regulated. Uh, usually by the time they rescue animals from a roadside zoo or you know through a, a, a mill or whatever, it's too late. The animals already suffered quite a bit. So I'd like to know kind of what headway they're making uh, in regards to state laws or federal law. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. That's, that's a great question, Terry. Um, we, we are always working to push the law forward to recognize animal rights, whether that be through our litigation, pushing courts to acknowledge 
that animals do in fact have rights and need to be protected from suffering or on the legislative uh, aspect of things and, and pushing forward laws like the Big Cat Safety Act, which are intended to um, prevent lions and tiger cubs from being used for, for cub petting, which is demonstrably um, and unquestionably harmful to them. Um, unfortunately, one of the issues is not necessarily the lack of laws, but the lack of enforcement. Uh, so the, the Federal Animal Welfare Act is the primary law that applies to protect uh, non-domesticated animals who are used for exhibition um, and experiments and in, in a few other areas. And uh, the law is supposed to protect these animals from harm. Um, unfortunately, inspectors are spread thin. They have far too many facilities to inspect and, and potentially cite. Um, there is also, uh, there are political issues involved with that too. The, the Animal Welfare Act is enforced differently under different administrations. And fortunately, over the last few years, we have seen um, those begin, uh, citations begin to tick up again for violations of the law um, and the USDA taking some meaningful action in, in a few instances. But uh, the, the agency's own Office of Inspector General has repeatedly called out the agency for failing to adequately enforce the law um, for all of the reasons that I discussed. Um, so we, we really need to continue to improve the laws while also uh, doing what we can as um, as individuals to prevent suffering by no longer visiting these facilities so it's not profitable for them to hold animals in those conditions anymore. Um, and then, of course, we pursue things through, through litigation to get these facilities shut down and these animals placed in appropriate sanctuaries. Well, those are, those have been great calls. I mean, really, and, uh, I, and you mentioned enforcement. And so let's talk a little bit about when we talk about uh, issues of animal rights. What what are issues of animal rights? What are what kind of issues does Peter work on in terms of animal rights and animal law? Um, so, in terms of animal rights, it's in, it's incredibly broad because animals experience pain, fear, and stress, and compassion and joy, um, and and they have their own interests. They need to be free to to make their own choices and express their natural behaviors and, and follow their instincts. Um, so animal rights is just taking account of those of those considerations and giving those animals consideration for those interests that shouldn't be sacrificed simply because it's convenient to humans or we wish to use them for something. Um, so this could be anything from wildlife quote-unquote control, um, you know, pest control to animals used in zoos and circuses or in experimentation or raised for food. Um, recognizing, if we recognize animal rights, um, we recognize that animals are suffering in all of these circumstances and they need to be protected from that suffering. Well, it's interesting because we can elect our representatives theoretically to represent our rights as people, but animals don't have that ability. So it really is up to us to enact laws that to protect them and enforce those laws. And 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 so we need organizations like PETA to to make sure those those laws are being enforced. But but as you know, as humans continue to to build and encroach, you mentioned pest control, and uh, we we build and encroach on habitats of animals, and and sometimes we see them as now as 
uh, pest animals in some ways, you know, because we encroach on their environment. So we see efforts to control those animals. What what exactly is cruel wildlife control? Peter talks about cruel wildlife control. Yeah, I, well, most lethal control mes uh, methods are extremely cruel and they're ineffective too because they result in this endless cycle of killing. It's not getting to the root of the issue, but just killing the animals as they come along and doing nothing to stop that from happening. Um, common things that are used are, are poisons and fumigants, which are highly toxic and are some of the cruelest products on the market because animals endure a slow and agonizing death, uh, usually accompanied by like, convulsions, vomiting, internal bleeding. Um, and, and many other painful reactions. Relatedly, glue traps don't kill animals outright. Instead, animals are panicking and struggling to free themselves, tearing their own flesh, breaking their own bones, sometimes for days before they eventually die of exhaustion or shock or dehydration. So there, I mean, there's really always a more compassionate option, and we need to, as we are encroaching upon these habitats, learn how to live in harmony with wildlife. And so the most effective thing we can do and the most effective long-term option for this sort of control is really focused on prevention and non-lethal measures like sealing gaps and holes and keeping food and trash in, in two-proof containers and trimming shrubbery uh, to prevent them from encroaching upon our homes and leading to this endless cycle of violence and killing. You can email us your questions. This Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with Jared Goodman, General Counsel of Animal Law for the PETA Foundation. We're talking about animal rights. If you're a critter or a nature lover, we do have a show to suggest. I'll tell you that next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast, or you can find MPB Think Radio recordings at mpbonline.org slash radio. And if you're an animal lover or like hearing about nature, you'll probably like Creature Comforts, MPB's Thursday, 9 a.m. Central call-in show, but it's also a podcast, and their specific website is creaturecomforts.com. 
www.mpbonline.org. This morning we're talking about animal rights with our guest Jared Goodman, General Counsel of Animal Law for the PETA Foundation. We're going to go to Brandon now and talk with Dave. Dave, thanks so much for calling in today. What's your comment or question? Yes, I have a question about a situation in, in Simpson County in the Harrisville area. There's some folks that have had a, uh, they call it a Rolling Hills Fox Pen, but basically what it boils down to, they have got a lot of coyotes that they have brought in, not foxes, and they have a group of members that bring their hunting dogs down there that chase these coyotes in what they call field trials. They put paint numbers on the side of their dogs and get trophies and whatnot, but they basically, long story short, chase these coyotes until they are just basically almost dead and then they kill them and i'm pretty sure that they're getting their coyotes from out of state so is there anything that can be done about something like this it it depends on some of the the factors here um like you said where the coyotes are coming from um you know whether they are wild or captive bred might make a difference to law enforcement but um it sounds like you have described um what should amount to cruelty to animals under the state's law um now mississippi's protections for animals other than dogs or cats are are uh quite more limited um, but they do exist and so um, I, I'd encourage you to contact your local police department about this. And if they are not interested in pursuing it, you can go to PETA.org and provide more information um, to PETA's Cruelty Investigations Department uh, for them to consider taking further action. Okay. Well, I knew there was something we could do, so I appreciate the tip. Have a good one. Thank you for your great question. That was a great question, and and we're gonna. We, we, you mentioned, by the way, you you mentioned that actually the Mississippi law on on uh, killing animals uh, when the previous caller called about uh, the, the next door neighbor threatening to kill the dogs, and uh, and you also said, uh, Jared, you, you've been working. You worked on a case in Missouri, which is why Missouri came out uh, for five years, and now now we're asking you to talk about Mississippi law. So, uh, if you're a PETA lawyer, you have to know a lot about what's going on around the country. So let, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, Mississippi and and unfortunately um, the Animal Legal Defense Fund does rankings of states and they rank Mississippi 48th on the list in terms of laws protecting animals but what are some of the reasons why Mississippi ranks uh, low on that list? There are a few. Um, So first as I alluded to the laws are severely limited by species with the strongest protections available for dogs and cats. So for example, starving starving or torturing many other species is only a misdemeanor. Torturing an animal is only a misdemeanor with a maximum fine of $100 and a maximum of 100 days in jail. Um, This is very unusual. Most states don't have this level of specific protection for dogs and cats and torturing any animal would be a felony with much more severe penalties. Um, so, so again, the distinction is is quite unique. Um, relatedly, uh, the if convicted of cruelty to animals, uh, the law provides that a person can be prohibited from possessing a dog or cat in the future, but it doesn't allow possession bans or doesn't explicitly acknowledge possession bans. 
if you've been convicted of cruelty against any other animal. There are some heightened protections over and above non-dog and cat animals for animals who are considered livestock. It's still less than a dog or a cat. And I think this helps, this helps show the reasoning for it. So we have dogs and cats in our homes. Farmers treat livestock as their property. And so that is what the legislature has targeted here for the greatest protection. And that's one of the issues with animal protection laws generally. They're not always intended to protect the animals from harm. It, they, don't in, uh, they don't imbue those animals with actual legal rights, but rather they're protected from particular harm to protect their owners or guardians and their interest in the animal being not harmed. There are, you know, there's a small sign of improvement here. In 2018, the Mississippi legislature increased penalties for dog fighting convictions after the first one. Um, so there are, there's at least that small sign of things moving in the right direction. Uh, but the state has a lot of work to do in that regard. And it's, it, it is unfortunate because, you know, I, I teach wills and estates as one of the classes I teach. And, and you know, I, animals are treated as property in the wills and estates arena. And, and you know, the main reason I talk about that is for, for have my students think about is they're working with clients to how, how you know, who's going to take care of those animals uh, when their owner dies is, an, is another issue that, that we need to think about in terms of animal protection. But they are under the law treated as property. And I think that is maybe you know, part of the issue in terms of imbuing them with the rights that, uh, that would protect them. Uh, so, um, yeah, one, one thing that I, I noticed in doing some research is that uh, veterinarians, um, uh, you know, we think about doctors and, and doctors have to support, uh, have to report uh, child abuse, for example, if they see it, if a pediatrician sees it. But do, do veterinarians have to report um, animal cruelty uh, in Mississippi or other states? In some states, it is mandatory. In Mississippi, I don't believe it is. Uh, fortunately, veterinarians do have immunity from civil claims. So if you report, if a veterinarian reports cruelty to animals, to an animal that they've seen, the owner of that animal can then not sue them for um, you know, some sort of tort claim for reporting that information. Um, so that at least provides veterinarians with the ability and option to report this cruelty. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, and, uh, and so what, you know, I, I, when, when PETA, how does PETA get involved then in, in legally in uh, trying to change the law in, in, in various jurisdictions? Um, well, I, uh, <laughs> before I turn to that, I'd like to just address one more issue that involves changing the law as it relates to animals in Mississippi. Um, just to, pr to provide a, an indication of how the legislature views animal-related issues, uh, in 2019, at the behest of the Mississippi Cattlemen's Association, the legislature passed a law that banned the use of terms that are traditionally used to describe animal flesh, like burgers or bacon, even when the label very clearly stated that the product was vegan or plant-based. Um, this was, it was a hurdle that was presented by the legislature, erected by the legislature, to prevent people from um, getting easy access or to vegan foods, basically, and to protect the the uh, animal agriculture industry. And a vegan meat maker named Upton's Naturals very promptly sued when that uh, when those regulations went into effect, and the restrictions 
so obviously violated the First Amendment that the state promptly capitulated and changed those regulations. So now, as long as it says something like plant-based or vegan on the product, it's fine to call it what everyone would be looking for when they're trying to buy plant-based bacon. You need to know it's a bacon-type food um, to, to, uh, to just have a sense of what you're purchasing. Um, so that's, a, that's another way that the law can be changed and uh, another uh, sort of hurdle that was erected by the legislature here. Um, but PETA more often than not is involved with legislation on the federal level, protect, protecting animals who are um, used in experimentation or uh, for entertainment purposes uh, at the state level. Most often, PETA will be working um, in Virginia, where its headquarters is based. Um, again, circling back to the uh, the animal domestic animal rescue things that we discussed, and all of the services that PETA provides in Virginia, um, very often working with the legislature to improve protections for animals there, um, including most recently pushing a series of five different bills to get passed after repeated USDA inspections at a dog breeding facility for laboratories. They, they breed dogs and sell them to labs for experiments. Um, USDA repeatedly cited them for violating the bare minimum standards of the Federal Animal Welfare Act. There was effectively no state oversight of this, um, and, and the state was basically hands off entirely, allowing all of this cruelty to take place in its backyard. And Peter successfully again pushed, pushed forward these five bills that were implemented to create greater oversight and help prevent these abuses from occurring in the future. We're learning about some of the laws for protecting our animals. And uh, Jared, we always tell on our listeners on in legal terms, if you don't like a law, you need to contact your lawmaker and tell them you don't like that law or vote in someone who likes the laws you like. We'll take your questions on our email address. It's legalterms at mpbonline.org. Our guest is Jared Goodman, General Counsel of Animal Law at the PETA Foundation. What can you do if you find a pet-type animal that you don't want to keep or you want to rescue a pet? We'll tell you next. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. 
Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are most of our local shows. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. At 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays, following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress here on MPB Think Radio. If you are looking to adopt or you need someone to take over an animal that you found, the website nokillnetwork.org has a Mississippi page. And if you've worked with a shelter in the past, they'd love for you to leave a review so others know what to expect. We'll have the link to that in this show information. We're talking with Jared Goodman, General Counsel of Animal Law for the PETA Foundation. And, and Liz, this has been such a, an informative show, and we really appreciate Jared being with us. I can't believe the time is flying so fast, but we, we want to talk a little bit about animal experimentation, if we could. You know, what uh, that's an area of advocacy for PETA. And is, is animal experimentation still legal in some states? Animal experimentation is legal in every state. Um, in fact, there is no experiment that is illegal per se, regardless of how painful, cruel, or invasive or lethal it is. Um, you know, there are at least 111 million dogs, mice, rats, monkeys, pigs, and other animals that are killed in U.S. laboratories every year. And the, the primary law that is protecting them is, again, the Federal Animal Welfare Act, um, which I mentioned its shortcomings. And not only are there those issues with enforcement, but and the protections are minimal, but they entirely exclude rats, mice, fish, amphibians, reptiles, and, and other animals who are killed for agricultural research. So 95% of animals used in laboratories have no protection under federal law. Most states exempt what they call, quote, bona fide scientific research experiments on animals. And so there is very, very minimal protection for them, and it's occurring everywhere in the country. Has, has uh, PETA's efforts, Animal Legal Defense Fund, have, you know, I'm sure, I know there have been efforts in regard to at least working towards reducing animal experimentation. Have there, have there been successful efforts? Yeah, absolutely. PETA has closed laboratories and, and did many different types of experiments on animals and entirely revolutionized the animal testing industry in areas like toxicology testing and personal care products testing uh, by really spearheading innovative non-animal alternatives that are um, more reliable and better able to provide us valuable scientific information. Um, PETA's undercover investigations have led to substantial changes in the Animal Welfare Act and mandated things like psychological enrichment for monkeys, including housing them in pairs rather than alone, exercise for dogs, mandatory oversight committees. In fact, one of the labs that PETA shut down after in, in undercover investigation um, resulted in a few hundred animals going to shelters along the eastern seaboard when I was living there. And one of my cats, Ruby, um, came from one of these shelters. Her ears tattooed, excuse me, came from this laboratory um, and was adopted from the shelter. Her ear has been tattooed. And when I adopted her, she was 
uh, terrified of humans, terrified of walking on the floor. Her only life, she was about three years old, her life was in a cage. And it took a lot of time to really care for her and show her how compassionate humans can be to get her to really come around. Um, but I, to just give one more example of the effect that PETA has had on experimentation, just last week, PETA was listed in a financial prospectus as being, quote, unquote, a challenge to animal experimentation uh, market growth. And I'm quoting the prospectus here. Animal welfare organizations like PETA are raising their voices for the ethical treatment of animals and are anticipated to strangle the growth of the animal model market. So for the animals and the humans awaiting treatments and cures that are likely to never come from experimenting on animals, this is great, great news. We do have an email question. This came from Michelle. Is there more ways to relocate animals who are in kill shelters to out-of-state locations where they are more likely to be adopted? Jared, do you know of organizations? Because I, I think a lot of southern states have more kill shelters than uh, other parts of the country. Yeah, well, I'd actually like to use this question to, to sort of a. Adopt an underlying premise, or to address an underlying premise here, um, you know, between kill shelters and no kill shelters. You know, kill shelters are really open admission shelters. They're providing a safe haven for animals who are cast off and neglected by people. And no one who works in an open admission shelter wants to euthanize an animal. But it is an act of kindness by courageous people who are making these very difficult and very emotionally difficult decisions day in and day out. The owner, uh, the animal owner overpopulation crisis is not a problem that we could just simply adopt our way out of. The only solution is to prevent unwanted births, which is why it's so important to spay and neuter animals. Um, you know, animals are individuals with each their own needs and heartbreaking stories, and they shouldn't be reduced to just numbers or turned away from a shelter because they would need to be euthanized, which is something that happens often with no-kill shelters. Thank you. That's such a great, that's such a great point. Um, and, uh, you know, that, uh, that is, I mean, the, the, we can do a lot on the front end. I mean, preventive care for the animals to have them spayed and neutered, as you mentioned, will make a big difference. Um, so what can we do? I mean, you, you mentioned uh, experimentation, for example. It seems to me that that is a product of us as consumers to some extent, because I, I buy products that say never tested on animals. Um, you know, and, and you mentioned uh, veggie burgers before. I think the reason why ultimately those laws will fail and will fail is because people know what a veggie burger is and, and the market now is expanded for different alternatives for, uh, you know, people to eat products that aren't made necessarily from animals. So uh, are, are there things that we can be doing as individuals that will help this cause, uh, both legally and also just individually. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've, we've touched upon a few of them. As you're indicating, we can all make personal choices that um, show support for non-animal alternatives by buying um, vegan meats and cheeses or just not buying animal flesh at the supermarket to not visiting roadside zoos and marine parks. Um, and not buying products that have been tested on animals to show the companies that are selling those that that's what people want to see um, and pe what people want to support. 
And we really do have so much power in this regard because our entire system is based on these companies doing these things because it is financially advantageous to them. And if we can remove that aspect of this and, and make it less profitable for them to harm animals in this way, they will choose alternatives, as we're seeing um, with experimentation, with places like SeaWorld focusing their advertising on roller coasters instead of orcas, because um, they know that the public has turned away from these cruel uh, spectacles. We have one last call. John from Corinth, quickly ask your question, please. Yes, ma'am. Um, I, I have had several friends that volunteered at animal shelters, and I know how emotionally draining uh, that can be. Uh, but I've often heard, I was just wondering if it were still true, if it were ever true, that veterinarians have the highest rate of suicide among any profession. Jared, is that anything you can comment on? Um, I do not know um, about those statistics, but it, it is understandable. Um, it's a very difficult job, and you know, we absolutely applaud the vets who are going into work every day and, and dealing with very often the worst of, of what we see with companion animals, whether it be them suffering from disease um, and on their last legs or having been attacked by other animals. Um, it's, it's a very difficult job to do. Um, there's a lot to see as animal lovers that we really wouldn't want to. Um, and so it, it was, it's an incredibly important job. And, and I hope that you know, veterinarians are doing their best to prioritize you know, mental health um, and you know, taking, using those resources that are available to, to try to reduce the incidence of things like that. Because you know, whether or not it's the highest rate, I'm, I'm sh I have no doubt that it is an incredibly difficult job. It takes a compassionate person to be a vet and a shelter worker. Jared, we are so glad that you came and gave us an hour of your time. Thank you very much. My pleasure. It's great to be on. That's going to wrap us up for In Legal Terms. Thank you, Lisa Lancaster and Jay White, for helping to put on our show. For Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. We hope that you can join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.